There's no role that snowballs out of hand like top lane, right? You die once, top lane, game over. See you in a bit. Like, go, good luck in the next game. Like, top lane, I die. I'm locked in. I'm isolated up here. No one's coming to save me. And it works vice versa. If I kill my laner, you, you're coming straight back to me. You're not leaving anywhere. You're coming straight back and it's still me and you for the next 10 minutes. You know? And I like the aspect. Welcome to Challenger Insights, where we dive into the minds of the best League of Legends players to figure out how they think about the game. I'm your host, Lucas, and today I'm joined by Spearshot. He's a Challenger Pantheon OTP, and he has been Challenger since Season 9. He's reached up to 1200 LP, putting him in the top 30 on the leaderboard in EU West. Before we get started, I'm also hosting a live Q&A with Spearshot in the Challenger Insights Discord. It'll be happening this Saturday, October 1st, at 4pm Central Time, or 10pm in the UK. So if you want to ask Spearshot some questions of your own, be sure to join the Discord. The link for that will be in the show notes. Spearshot, it's awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hello, thank you, Lucas. That was quite the introduction, thank you. That was pretty motivating, even for me, that was good. <laughs> Glad to do it. Um, let's get started then. First of all, how would you describe Pantheon in your own words? He's a very versatile champion. And I think people don't really fully understand that. He's very versatile. He can be sort of like an initiating champion, right? Someone who frontlines for the team, someone who sets up the fights, sort of a proactive champion that looks for plays. He can be played at a slower pace and be played as some sort of like a support and just peel for the carries and play front to back and play a little slow. He can be played in a, in a multitude of ways. He can be played as like an assassin jumps onto the back line, makes the pick, you know? I'd say what drew me to him is that that versatility. That so many different items to buy, so many different ways to play him, and just so many opportunities, especially if you take into account his global art. All right, that's awesome. Um, what would you say is like the biggest difference between a good Pantheon and a great Pantheon? Ooh, ooh that's a good question. Um, I think it's just the ability to adapt. I think there are a few champs in the game where you can get away with playing the exact same way every single game. And if you sort of polish that off and you, you do that well enough, you'll climb. The issue with Pantheon is he needs to be super versatile. Some games you have to rush a Cleaver first item. Some games you have to rush a Kempunk first item. Uh, some games you have to run a Serpents. Because he's so versatile, there's so many different ways to play him. You just have to keep constantly adapting to every game you play. And it's not just the items and the runes. You need to be changing the play style as well. There are some comps whether it's your team's lacking engage or the enemy team has a lot of disengage, you just cannot R in. You can't ultimate to start the fights. You just have to kind of give that ultimate up, maybe use it for rotations rather than to start fights, and you just play front to back. There are other comps where you need to be Ring in and initiating fights, right? Let's say if you have a good engage support on your team, someone like Rakan, and maybe good follow-up from your jungler and mid, right? They have the right champions. Then you can afford to just R in and start fights and I think the differences um, between a good Pantheon and a low elo Pantheon, or just someone who's trying to get better on Pantheon, is that the high elo Pantheon knows how to adapt to the game he's playing. Whereas the low elo Pantheon maybe has a very one-dimensional playstyle and he just keeps repeating the same thing every time. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, well, then so be it. And there's no versatility. There's no, like, uh, there aren't more dimensions to his playstyle. All right, that's interesting. I'd love to dive into that. Um... Let's start with the early laning phase for Pantheon. What's your plan for the first few levels? 
Um, it varies matchup to matchup. So, uh, I mean, any champions like this, right? But you really have to take the matchups into account and know the limitations. Because a matchup like, let's say, Orn or Gragas, because they usually have really weak level ones, I'm often just running at them level one. And I'm either zoning them, zoning them off the first wave or I'm just getting a really strong trade against them. Sometimes killing them, right? Genuinely. So a matchups like that, where they have a weak level one, I'm the aggressor. I'm running at them. And then you have matchups like Set, matchups like Urgot, matchups like Darius, where you have to respect them early on, otherwise they'll kill you, right? They'll literally just kill your level one. So you, you have to respect them in the early levels. And once you hit level three, that's when you can start playing for trades. And that's usually where most of the matchups are similar in the sense if they're melee, you can just look for tap cues and keep perfect distance. I can't emphasize how important it is on Pantheon to keep perfect spacing. Because a lot of the matchups, it's pretty much just you land your cues and you don't get hit. And Pantheon has an advantage because his Q often outranges a lot of melee top lane matchups abilities. So Darius Q is a little shorter than Pantheon Q, which is great. Because now if I space perfectly, Darius can never land a Q on me. Which means I can always land my Qs and he can't retaliate. And if I can do that enough, even if Darius can beat me in an all-in trade, all I have to do is get him low enough, maybe to 70%, maybe to 60%, and then I can look for an all-in trade. I just have to get, like, usually maybe four or three successful cues on him without getting hit. And the importance is not getting hit. And it's not just Darius, any matchups like this. You take, like, Set into account. You take Mordecai's into account. If Set manages to pull me when I tap Q, I'm not winning that trade anymore. So I have to just keep perfect spacing. On Pantheon, it's all about spacing when it comes to the melee matchups. And then you have like the ranged matchups top lane. You have like Kennen, you have Jace, you have a few of the ranged matchups like Gnar as well, where you're not really trying to avoid getting hit. You're trying to land your, your Q in order to look for an Nepal W. Because often those matchups are running bone plating. And you have to look for the tap Q initially to get the bone plating off. And then you can look for an Nepal W. You see how versatile he is in that sense, though? Because a, a lot of champs like Darius, if I'm Darius and I'm versing Vayne, the, the game is pretty much done. I have to either wait for a gank or I'm just going to get zoned off the entire wave permanently. I won't be able to farm. I have to wait for the wave to crash into me and maybe ping for assistance. Like, it's just a horrible lane and I'm getting zoned. Pantheon doesn't have that issue. In theory, he can verse any champ, any matchup, doesn't matter. Because his kit's versatile in that sense, right? If I'm versing a ranged matchup, I'm looking for all-ins. If I'm versing a melee matchup, I'm looking to poke and to keep distance. And if your lane is really, really slow and you can't look for a lead early, because it is true Pantheon does need gold to finish a few items, right? He needs gold to actually start snowballing into the game, right? And if your lane is playing super safe and maybe you can only get a 10 or 12, maybe 15 CS lead, then often I'll look for a shove and just perma rotations, whether it's invades with my jungler, whether it's rotations to mid, whether it's shoving the wave, resetting, and then and then looking for an R to bot lane. That's often what I'm doing. I'm securing prior on my lane just so I can look for rotations around the map. That's if my lane is super safe. All right. <laughs> there's there's a lot I want to get into here. Um, first of all, I think the one thing I really want to ask about is you explained the importance of spacing. Um, how exactly do you do that? What what does it mean for you to have perfect spacing and, and how do you achieve that? Okay, well, perfect spacing, it's, it's the idea that I need to be landing my cues without him hitting me. Because if they start getting into the range of your cue, it's like, great, you're going to land your cues, but he's also going to be able to retaliate with his abilities. So perfect spacing is 
having them right at the edge. Think about the cube visually in your head, having a diameter around you, right? So the cue length has a circle around you and he should never be able to get inside of that circle. And then when you want to look for an engage, that's when you can get him inside of the circle. That's usually how it goes. Okay. Um, once you've like poked them down with Q, when do you know when to go all in? Like, how can you tell uh, when you're able to to get the kill? Um, I mean, a lot of this comes from just learning the limitations, so actually practicing the matchups, because you have to adjust to certain abilities like a Darius hook or uh, maybe a Mordecai's paw or something like that. You have to adjust to certain abilities to make sure that you actually know the limitations in the matchup. But for the most part, it's actually not too complex. Because the truth is, if my lane is 60% HP and I'm 100% HP and I've spaced, you know, I've been rewarded for spacing correctly, right? And I've landed, let's say, three or four tap cues. All it takes is maybe four tap cues. And then you can start looking for engages. Because the truth is, even if, you know, Mordekaiser has better rule-in potential or Darius has better, better rule-in potential, if I get them to 60% HP and I'm 100%, even if they try and turn on me when I empower W in, they can't. I'm going to kill them before they can kill me. So the idea is you just have to land like three or four tap cues. And obviously you have to take things into account, like knowing the limitations. Um, and if you want to, you know, expand that a little further, you have to take into account like tracking the enemy jungler and keeping vision of mid lane too, because you don't want to engage when you're about to get ganked, right? For the most part, it's really just, successfully landing three or four cues. It's really not too many. Um, and take into account that they might be running bone plating. So make sure that's down as well before you look for an engage. All right. Um, when you do go for that all, then what does that look like? You talked about the empower W. Is it always W you want to empower? And, you know, basically what does your combo look like and how does Ignite factor into that? So often you want, you want to be looking for an empower W, like ideally in the perfect scenario. But the issue is there are some champs that can negate that. And there are some champs that are waiting for you to empower W, right? Let's say it's a Fiora parry. Maybe it's a Teemo blind. Maybe it's a Shen block. Maybe it's a Jax block. They want you to empower W. They're waiting. So when they see you at five stacks, you know they're ready. Because it's pretty obvious when Pantheon is about to empower W. You can see the stacks above his head, right? So into matchups like Teemo, into matchups like Jax and Shen, if you do want to be looking for an engage on them, you have to go in with maybe four stacks. Not actually five. Even matchups like Akali who can put her shroud down. Because if she shrouds when I W in and I empower W in, I won't be able to get the autos off. I'll just get the stun, which isn't good enough, right? I just basically used my empowered five stacks on nothing. So even into matchups like Akali, you want to be looking for four stack engages if you can engage. So W and then when you land on them, now you're at five stacks. So you can empower Q. And then you can E. And by the time the blinds down or the shrouds down or the Shen blocks down or Jax blocks down, then you can continue to auto them. I mean, that you can only look for when they're really low. Because if you think about it, you're burning all three abilities in one. So you can only do that when you can kill them. Um, otherwise, usually you just have to poke them down and then look for the engage. And like, if they're low enough, let's say 40%, 50% HP, and you have Ignite, you could kill them. So the Ignite factors is in, a lot, some, some viewers, right, some people that are new to the stream, they'll come in and actually get annoyed at me. Bro, stop wasting your Ignite. I have a thing where I'll usually burn Ignite if it forces my lane at the back off and he has to reset, right? Because if I don't kill him, that's great. It's, it's not the end of the world, right? Sure, I do want to kill him. That's the best possible scenario. But if I can't kill him and I've got three waves crashing into his tower, the second best thing I could do is force him to reset. 
Because now I'm going to be able to get a plating, maybe two, and he's going to miss three waves. So sure, I might not have killed him, but I'm going to be up an entire level on him. Because three waves is definitely worth a level of XP, right? And then and then the gold, and then the, the two platings. So I don't need to always kill my laner uh, when I use an ignite. Sometimes I'll look for the ignite just to force him to reset so I can shove the wave in and um, either get platings or force him to miss CS. And then other times I'll use the ignite early in the fight to try and get him to 20%. Because 20% on Pantheon is the crit threshold. Now my Q is going to crit, which is virtually an execute, right? So if I can use the Ignite early to get him from 40% to 20%, that's great. Now my Q is going to crit him, and, and it actually works a lot better than me using the Ignite when he gets to 20%. Interesting. So unlike most champions, you're not using Ignite to finish the enemy off, but you're like either getting them to back off or getting them into, into like kill range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because often, they, like, not often, it depends on the players, right? But some players don't factor in the ignite damage. And so if I can get the ignite damage to drop them to 20%, like a lot of players will think, well, I'm nowhere near crit threshold, I'm safe. And now if I can get the ignite to force them into crit threshold, just that little bit of percentage, like maybe the ignite does 8% extra damage, right? 8% of their HP down to 20%. All I need is that, and then I can crit them. So it, it often catches people off guard. Obviously, the better the player, the harder it is because they factor that in. But yeah, it's it's definitely a cheeky tactic that I, I use. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about: if you're constantly using Q to to poke the enemy down to get them into kill range, doesn't that also usually push the wave because you're hitting minions with that as well, right? Doesn't that push them under tower? Can you kill them under tower? And doesn't that put you in a dangerous position to get ganked as well? So often in, in matchups like Nasus where I really don't want him to farm, I'm often trying to angle myself so I'm landing cues without actually touching the wave. Because the, the slower it pushes in, the more CS he's actually going to miss. And then into matchups that are melee matchups, I'm usually okay letting the wave crash, right? Because now when they try and farm the wave that's crashing on the tower, I can still land my tap cues. And if I'm spacing correctly, I'm outside of tower range when I land them. And that's usually how it goes. So even when they're under tower farming, I'm still, you know, landing the tap cues on the head, right? I'm still slowly dropping the HP bar down. And often, it's not too much of a problem anyway. Because if I start pushing the first three waves in, let's say, that means the next waves are going to start crashing back into me. It's going to start slow pushing into me. And if I keep queuing in that situation, sure, it'll keep pushing into him. But often I'll let the wave start pushing back into me just so now either I can hold a freeze or the enemy uh, champion tries to break the freeze and I kill him for it. So it's like, I, I always try and put them in an awkward situation like that. So even if I'm tap queuing and getting the trades early, that's good, that's fine. Because now when the wave bounces back into me after it crashes into him, I'll pause on the queues for a bit, let the wave start pushing into me. Then I'll, I'll try and hold the freeze. And if he tries to break the freeze, I'll kill him, right? Assuming I've gotten some successful tap queues off beforehand. So that's often what I'll do. Um, there are a few downsides to that. You know, enemy laner might have a level advantage now, right? Because he's got the big wave. You haven't cashed in the wave yet. So he might have the level advantage. So you do want to take all of that into account. But if it's done properly, it's it's also a very cheeky tactic. I mean, he's got really no choice. He either pings for assistance to help break the freeze, right? And have his jungler come or his mid laner come. Or he tries to break it himself. Um, so it's it's just horrible both ways. If I've gotten successful cues, he can't break it himself. You know, so either I'm dragging pressure from around the map or he's um, dying to try and break the freeze that I'm holding against him. Okay, yeah, that does seem very oppressive. Um, but again, if you're up so far and even poking them under turret, you're, you're going to get ganked, right? Well, this, 
This I wouldn't recommend, but I'm a bit of a weirdo. And and I'm going to give credit to Baus here because he's a, he's a genius when it comes to like this sort of wave management, right? And he, he kind of paved the way for this in a way. But the truth is, if I'm shoving the wave into him, and let's say the wave's crashing into his tower now, even if I die and I'm overextended, even if I die, I usually try and trade the one for one because if I've gotten enough good tap cues on my laner, my enemy laner can't react to the gank because he's at like 40% HP, which is more than enough for Pantheon to kill, right? Pantheon's full combo can easily do 40% of someone's HP at level three, right? Easily, especially with Ignite. So my laner can't react. And now my jungler's forced to actually fight me under my big wave that's crashing and he can't, right? Because not only is Pantheon really strong in a 1v1 at level three, but I've got a wave under me too. So often I'm either trading a one for one there or I let's say die, which isn't the worst thing in the world. This is the thing. This is what the boss does and he does it really well. But even if I die in that position, it's okay. Like, oh, best case scenario, don't die. But even if I do, what really happens? Jungler kills me, and then he shares the XP with the enemy lane, all right? The three or two waves that are crashing into his tower. He ends up sharing the XP with him. I respawn. I start running back to the lane. And by the time I've arrived, the waves have crashed in the middle again, and I'm fine. Or, or the waves slow pushing into me. So now I can either hold a freeze, or I can just catch the farm, and I haven't really missed anything. Sure, enemy jungler or my laner got 300 gold, but my laner actually doesn't have an XP advantage. They shared XP on the kill and he shared XP on the wave. When I shoved the wave in, when I killed his wave, I got the solo XP. Do you, do you see what I mean? So there's, it's not too bad. Like it's recoverable. It's, it's not hell. Like it's fine. And um, that's worst case scenario. That's if I die. Often I'm either ungankable because the enemy jungler can't kill me or he tries to kill me and I'll kill him. So yeah, I, I often play with the aggressive playstyle and just secure prior anyway, whether it means I die or not. Bose actually does that really well. He does it really well. That's interesting. So you're you're playing very aggressive and barely even getting punished for it. Or best case scenario, getting like a kill on the jungler or <laughs> you know, turning turning around the gank uh, just because of Pantheon's early power. That's cool. All right. Let's see. I, last thing I, I wanted to, to talk about as well, what you mentioned earlier when it comes to range matchups. How exactly, you know, are you still able to use your Q to poke the range matchup constantly? And, you know, aren't you just going to get auto to death if you try that? How exactly do you play that? Um, okay, so there's a few ways to play this. This is, this is good. Because if my laner has exhaust and flash topside, now... I'll be honest with you, just don't fight your lane. I'd say just wait for a gank ping for assistance. Because often if you're versing like those sort of cheesy top picks like Vayne, Lucian, they're often really easy ganks. You know, Vayne can only condemn one person. And she's really not too strong when there's two people jumping at her early on. So if it's a matchup where they're running exhaust and bone plating, I'd honestly say just try to farm. And if the enemy lane is, you know, maybe out of position, maybe autos you on the tower, maybe does something silly, then look for the opportunity, but don't play too aggressive. I think at that point, you just have to concede and maybe ask for assistance. And if you can't get assistance, then play it very slow and look for rotations. I wouldn't recommend trying to fight a vein when she's running exhaust and bone plating with lethal tempo. It's, it's just not a good idea. You can't look for an engage, you can't burst her, and she stacks lethal tempo, so now you can't even escape. She starts tumbling after you and just killed you. There's really nothing to look for. But if your laner doesn't have exhaust then it's doable all you have to do is if they're running bone plating get one successful tap queue off early to get their bone plating off and then wait for your levels two 
or level three, depending on the matchup, right? If you need your E, then obviously wait for level three. But for the most part, you can kind of wait for level two. And if your laner maybe um, plays it a little over aggressive, tries to, you know, maybe it's a vein and she tumbles into auto you, then you can look for the empowered W onto, onto the vein. And if she, you know, you took the bone plating off prior and you've been playing it successfully so far, you haven't taken really bad trades. Because if you're 50% HP and you try to engage the vein and she's 100% HP, you failed. You're, you're going to die. You have to be in a solid position where you're almost full HP and then you can look for the engage, right? So now if you've taken the bone plating off and you look for the Empowered W, often that's what you want to be doing. You just want to be looking for that Empowered W after you've taken the bone plating off. Then you can look for the Empowered W, Q, Auto. And if you're level 3 onwards, you can Empowered E to chase or you can Empowered E to disengage. This is why I like Pantheon so much. His kit fits... It rotates so well because if I want to look for an engage on a range champion, empowered WQ auto, empowered E, and it like kind of stacks itself. And that empowered E is going to give me the movement speed to either continue chasing or to disengage. And either one's fine because if I disengage and I drop the laner to 40%, great because now my next engage is going to kill them. And if they're low enough for me to actually continue chasing, then great, I've got the empowered E movement speed and I can chase and kill them. So um, into ranged matchups, you really just have to play it a little slow early on. Don't take too many bad trades. Just wait for your power spikes, which is either level two or level three, depending on the matchup. And once you're level three, that's when you can start looking for the trades. And great, you know, you're just in the money after that. It should be pretty relatively straightforward after that. And I think the problem here is people, they just hate the fact that they're giving up CS. Buddy, if you're giving up 10 CS at level one, you're going to force them to give up 30 CS at level 3. So don't worry about that. Like, you'll make that, you'll make the income back. You'll be able to stay relevant. Don't worry. You just need to stay within XP range so you can keep up in levels. Because once you're level 3, you'll start zoning them. Ranged or not, doesn't matter. You just need to make sure you play it correctly. Get the bone plating off and then look for the engage. <laughs> so, so it's really all about just staying healthy and then going, like, like, you know, popping the bone plating and then going for the all-in repeatedly. It's not even so much about the Q poke. Yeah, I mean, you can't really... The truth is, if you try to Q-poke, let's say, a vein, you're kind of putting all the counterplay in her hands. Because really, her auto range, it's easier to successfully land an auto than it is to land a Q, because the Q is actually a skill shot. So the auto's upon your click. You can't mess that up, right? So if she spaces correctly and she tumbles in and out when she lands her autos, it's very difficult for you to retaliate with a Q. So I'd say just look for one when the opportunity is there, get the bone plating off, and then play it slower, stack your passive, look for them power W. Don't just constantly try and land Qs back and forth. Because um, best case scenario, it's an even trade. It's not even really winning. It's an even trade. Worst case scenario, you missed your Q, and now you're in a bad position. Because if you're too low in HP, and you don't have to be drastically low, if you're like 60% HP, you can't engage a 100% HP vein. It's impossible. She'll kill you before you kill her. All right, cool. Let's switch gears a little bit because I'm curious about uh, your your rune setup. We we haven't talked about this yet, but can you tell me like what runes are you choosing on Pantheon and, and why? So with with um, Pantheon, because of his empowered W, he can stack both PTA and Conqueror like really well. So PTA he can insta stack, Conqueror he can get to ten stacks which is ridiculous, right? Because the Empowered WQ gets him to instant 10 and then an auto and now he's at 12 stacks of Conqueror. And it's actually just really, really efficient on a champ like Pantheon because he stacks it so well, similar to Cleaver. So yeah, my rune setup's often either PTA or Conqueror. 
depending on the matchup. If I'm versing a matchup like Orn, if I'm versing a matchup maybe like Malphite matchups where the fight's going to drag back and forth, right? So I don't just engage Orn and burst him. I'm usually going to be engaging Orn and we're fighting for maybe 10 seconds. And then that's when the Conqueror actually gets utilized to its fullest. And then if I'm versing a champ like maybe a Vayne or someone who I can burst and go for short trades with and disengage, right? Then I'll go PTA. So if it's a champ I can burst like Vayne or Kennen, then I'll often go PTA because I can look for an Apal W and pretty much kill them. A champ like Darius, I'll go Conqueror because the fight's going to be lasting. I can't go for short trades into Darius. If I'm going to engage Darius, one of us are dying now. You know what I mean? I can't just walk away now. If I empower W Darius and then I try and walk away, he's going to kill me, right? He's either going to ghost or he's going to hook and I'm not going to be able to leave. So one of us are going to die there. That's why I take Conqueror because the fight's going to drag out. With a champ like Jace, I'm going to get empowered W, Q, Auto, E, and then he's going to knock me away. So it's like, okay, well, I can't really get more more of a trade there, so the Conqueror would be useless. And same thing applies with Vayne. If I look for an Empower W, great, I got Empower W, Q, Auto, I stacked my Conqueror, fantastic, but she knocks me away. So it's like, I just stacked my Conqueror, I didn't really utilize it. Whereas PTA is just one proc, boom, instantly. Empower W, PTA procs. Plus you get the vulnerability aspect to it too, which is your laner takes 8 to 12% more damage after you proc PTA, which is also a great late game, because there's a there's sort of a stigma that PTA is just horrible for scaling. But it's really not that bad. If they have a priority target late game in like team fights and you get an empowered W on them, that target's going to take 12% more damage from all sources, from you and your team. So even late game, it can definitely scale and it can be definitely be useful for the team. So yeah, I, I would take either PTA or Conqueror, depending on the matchup. Okay. And then, in addition to that, what secondary tree do you go? Or are there different choices there? Yeah, there's. You can take every single tree. <laughs> so there's because I said, like I said, Pandy is very versatile. He really is. So you can take the sorcery tree, and you can take maybe transcendence and scorch, and just poke your laner down. And I'll do this often if it's a matchup where I'm constantly landing tap cues and I'm poking them down, right? Because the scorch takes full effect there. Every ten seconds, you're gonna get a bonus. Let's say. It's 20 to 40 damage, but if you take into account magic resist, it's more like 15 to 30, which is also great. Bonus 15 damage on every Q is huge. Um, so that, that really does add up. So you can definitely take Sorcery with Transcendence and Scorch. You can definitely take Resolve. This is into matchups where they are like all-in champs. Champions like Riven, champions like Darius, champions like Jax. These are matchups where you can take Bone Plating and Unflinching. And not only is it going to help, because they all have some form of CC, right? Jax has a stun, Riven has stun, uh, Darius's hook counts as a stun and also knock up, right? So you do have tenacity there. So unflinching is useful, but the bone plating is insanely useful on Pantheon. Because now they're going to burn a lot of their kit on your bone plating. Great, you've tanked a lot of that damage. And then you have the E, right? So now the entire kit's been pretty much negated. Jax's initial QW just got negated by the bone plating and then when he stunned me i was in e so he can't even retaliate now he just has to back off otherwise you know he dies because his entire kit's down same thing applies to like riven right so it's it's really really useful into matchups like that there's the domination tree which is more of like a roaming build and i'll use this often if i'm support or mid um which is sudden impact and relentless hunter which is pretty much just looking for rotations i mean it, if I play that mid lane, I'm not constantly running around the map, but it helps if I do end up in that position. And it's just, just there, just in case. And it also does, does have its place when I look for an engage. Like, it, 
it helps a lot. The bonus 9 lethality when I look for an Apal W because of Sudden Impact is also very, very useful and beneficial, right? And then the safest page, I'd say, is Inspiration because you have Warp Tonic and Biscuits. And that's probably my most common setup just because I feel like Pantheon scaling really isn't that bad. I think it's pretty good. If I can get through the early and mid game, which is where Warp Tonic and Biscuits actually take effect, then I'm comfortable carrying from there. And so that's why I actually run that page. And I also run it because if my enemy lane is running cookies, I'm often at a disadvantage because it's that good. And so if I'm not running it, um, there's a risk that my enemy lane is running it. And I just don't want to play into someone that has cookies when I don't have cookies. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's definitely still playable. But yeah, cookies can definitely make the difference in a lane. So I'd more often rather have them than not. All right. <laughs> that is definitely a lot of options. It, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, cool. Let's talk a little bit more about, well, let's slightly later into the game. You talked earlier about ults and, and rotations and stuff like that. And I'm very curious about your level six specifically. When you have level six in lane, suddenly you, you have this roaming tool, right? How are you looking to use your ult, especially your first ult? And you know, how do you know when is the right time to use it? Um, this is a great question. Uh, this is a good one because it really, really is game dependent, right? A lot of leagues just adapting to the game state you're in, right? You can't just play the exact same way every single game. It's not going to work. So sometimes, especially on top lane, I'll often just not roam. I'll just use my R to get back to lane. You know, it kind of makes sense because my enemy lane has TP, right? So if my enemy lane has TP and let's say the wave's in a bad spot, he TPs back to try and mess with me. That's great. I've got my own global R, right? I can also come back to lane. And I'll often R back to lane to fix the wave and shove it in and maybe continue to look for a lead. If I don't do that, I'm often looking for rotations to mid, right? So if my lane's fine, everything's been working out, my wave state's fine, my lane is not ruining me, right? I'll often look for rotations to mid lane. And um, that's just the safest lane to look for. If I look for a rotation to bot, it's a little too risky. Because often my lane is just going to shove top and then get three, maybe four platings by the time I've reset, ran to bot lane, had the fight, had the skirmish, whatever it is. Sometimes it drags out to like 30 seconds, maybe sometimes a minute. And so that's taking too much time for me to reset and then run straight back to top lane. And my laner can get a gigantic lead in the meantime. Whereas mid lane is less likely to be so much of a hassle because there's only one person, right? The fight's not always going to drag out and the lane's pretty short. So either the enemy mid laner got away or we killed him. And it's pretty much that. And then I can just run straight to top. I don't even have to reset, right? Unless I obviously took crazy damage or something on the rotation. For the most part, it's mid. Like, if my lane's going horribly and there's nothing to look for and it's like make or break, then I'll look for mid as well. It's not just when I'm winning, right? I'll, I'll often look for mid. If the game's completely losing and I can't play my lane, even if my lane is holding a freeze on me, I'm just going to have to let that happen, right? Because let's say it's Fiora and if I try and break the freeze, she's just going to kill me, right? So I try instead to just play like sort of like a river pantheon, right? That's what they call it when I'm constantly roaming. And I just look for the desperate rotations. And if it works, then God bless, the game's winnable. If it doesn't work, then it's like, well, I couldn't farm anyway. My lane was a bit over. I was losing regardless. It happens. So I'll often look for mid. It's just a lot easier to gank. It's a 1v1. So when I land, it's a lot easier to deal with. It's a lot easier to kill in a 2v1 than it is in a 3v2, right? So bot's a little more difficult. And yeah, I get to return to top lane from mid lane a lot faster. All right. When you're looking to set up these like these alt ganks, especially in mid, I assume you need to shove out top first, right? 
the timing can be quite tight. Like you're you're shoving out, and then by the time the, the enemy is already like starting to to shove back in, you know, can you lose a wave or like, how does that work out usually if if you're roaming? If my laner has incredible wave clear, then I might. But the truth is, I should be able to get back in time to catch most of the wave. Sure, I might miss one or two, maybe three minions, but for the most part, I'll catch most of the wave. Because if I just shoved and I start running through to river, I don't have to run deep into the river. I have to get to where the river bush is to our mid, right? So it's not too far. So it literally take me maybe five seconds. If we get that gank off successfully in and out, and it shouldn't be too difficult, right? Pantheon's not really DPS. He's more of burst. The fight's pretty much going to be three, four, five seconds long, right? I'm power WQ, my lane reacts, great, we kill him, and I just run straight back to top lane. It shouldn't take too long. Often I can, it depends how good the, the enemy champion's wave clear is, but often I can actually get back to top lane in time to hold a freeze. That's how quick it can be to mid, and that's why I actually prefer it. Um, bot's just ridiculous setup, because bot you have to actually reset. But you have to shove it in, reset, run to the bot lane, run deep past tier 2, you know, and then you can look for the R. Then you have to reset, run back to top lane, like all of that takes way too long. Mid's just in and out, I like it, you know, just spontaneous, in and out. And they have less time to react because if I go missing from top lane for 2 seconds, it's hard for the mid laner to notice unless he's really paying attention. But if I go missing from top lane for 10 seconds, right, then the enemy bot lane is going to know I'm coming down, right? Or that I might be, so they'll play slower. It's just a lot harder to gank bot than it is to mid, so I'll often look for the mid rotation. All right, fair enough. One thing I'm also curious about, you know, if you're hitting six and your enemy top laner is also hitting six, you talked previously about how strong Pantheon is at level three and four. Now that the enemy also has their ultimate, suddenly they might have a good dueling ultimate while you don't. Does that mean that you can't go for kills on them anymore? Like, what does that mean for your lane? Um, yeah, and this is actually the toughest point of Pantheon, I feel like. Um, obviously, there are some games that are just easy to play because you just have perfect setup for your R and whatnot. But for the most part, this is where Pantheon struggles. And if you actually look at his win rates on um, certain websites like League of Graphs, right, you can see that his win rate dips at about that point in the game, that mid-game point, right, where he just doesn't have a 1v1 R. Because... You're right, the lane's still in action, we're both still in lane, and my laner has a massive advantage in, in 1v1s now, right? Whether it's Renekton with his R, whether it doesn't even need to be a crazy good 1v1 R, it could just be like an Orn R, which is a teamfight orientated R, but it works well in a 1v1 too, and I don't have anything. So yeah, 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 definitely, definitely, um, the lane becomes very, very difficult to play, especially if I haven't got an elite. It usually consists of me just playing as safe as possible. If I got a lead, then it's not too bad, right? I could still go toe-to-toe -to -toe with my laner. But if I'm behind now or I'm even, it's very difficult to play. And when I try and throw the cues, they are right on the edge. Because if my laner is too close to me, I'm going to die, right? They can look for the engage, whether it's Olaf, you know, when he lands his Q and runs me down with his R. Or it's Fiora and she lands one vital and then looks for the R. Or Riven and she just, you know, R's and just EQQs into me, right? Like... And now I'm playing extra, extra alert and safe. Because I do not want that fight anymore. They'll kill me. Like it flips on his head. Yeah, Pantheon definitely becomes um, a little less, less aggressive at six. Um, and that's actually his weakest point because you do need to finish a couple of items to actually come back into the game. Um, I don't think his scaling's bad. I think his mid game is bad. I think his late game's great. And I've said this a couple of times on you know YouTube or Twitch or whatever it is. Like I don't know that there are many champs in the game that can side lane against a Pantheon that has a Sunder or Cleaver Bork, really. Unless they have a gigantic lead, then obviously, but we're assuming they're both even. I don't know many. 
really, and I mean it. So his his mid game is definitely bad. But once you finish two or three items, depending on on what items you need that game or what comp you're versing, then he does come back into the game. So you just have to play it a little slow, just a little slow. And remember, you have a global R. Your laner doesn't. So use that to your advantage. He has a 1v1 R. He wants to use that to his advantage. Don't let him. You use your R to your advantage, which is the global R. And you keep looking for rotations when it's appropriate and you look for picks when it's appropriate. So yeah, it's you definitely at level six become an opportunist. You're looking for opportunities. You're not, you're not trying to be the aggressor anymore. You're playing it a little safe. You give your laner the respect he deserves and you just become that opportunist that looks for the rotations when it's appropriate. All right. So no more duels and purely playing around that R cooldown, right? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Um, once the the towers start going down and you know people are <laughs> are running around the map, um, does it remain the same? Are you just going to whatever side lane uh, no one's at and you're waiting for that arc cooldown? Is that just how it's going to be until you have three items? Um, it it varies. It varies because if I have a comp that's very like team fight orientated, I I do something very cheeky here, right? So let's say they have a Jax pretty impossible to side lane into Jax, right? Especially at that stage in the game. Let's say he's level 11. There's no way I'm going to beat this Jax, right? Or if Fiora, Kimi, or whatever it is, you are not going to win that matchup. But what I can do is really annoying for, for the enemy laner because I'll show up to the side lane and I'll start pushing the wave in. Great. Enemy laner starts showing up and starting to catch the wave and push it back into me, right? And, and when he does that and he shows up on the side lane, it seems great for him because he can stomp me on the side lane. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to be losing on that lane. When he starts pushing into me, I can't even try and hold the wave. But that's not my plan. I'm just forcing him onto the side lane, forcing him to come here and catch the CS that I'm shoving in, just so I can set up a fight onto mid lane. So often I'll set up, like, let's say my team's hovering mid lane, and that's usually what's happening. Maybe they're hovering around the Baron pit, maybe they're hovering around mid lane. When, when both teams are kind of dancing back and forth like that, right, I force the enemy laner to my lane, and then I start running off to try and set up the R. Because Panthers R is a great initiator for team fights. So when I set that R up, now it's a 5v4. Because this Jax or whatever my laner was just tried to come bot side to catch the wave. And now I'm R again to start a fight. And even if he TPs, often it's a little too late. The TP channel is 4 seconds. That's if he reacted perfectly. Often he's going to be reacting, let's say, 2 or 3 seconds late. So now it's going to take him 7 seconds. The fight's already starting. By the time he lands, 3 of his teammates are dead. Like, it's just great. And that's if he's running TP. A lot of uh, top laners are starting to run TP a lot less um, after the TP nerfs a while ago. So that's if he's running TP. If he's not running TP, then he's just doomed. He can't react. He just has to hope his team somehow survives or makes the best out of the 5v4. So that's often what I'll do. And that's what I mean when I say use the global R to your advantage. Your enemy laner doesn't have that. Unless it's a Shen. Yeah, if it's a Shen, then you have to play the game completely differently. Because you can beat Shen on the side lane. You just need Cleaver. So if you can go like Sandra Cleaver, you just beat the soul out of Shen on the side lane and... The game's a little different. You have to be the aggressor on the, on the side lane instead. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, you described your ult as like a global R, but it does have a limited range, right? And if you're catching CS in the side lane, you might have to walk a bit to get in range. How can you make sure you're always in position to ult at the right time, uh, for example, the moment a fight breaks out? Okay, so when I'm side laning, I'm not just staying in the lane and walking through the lane. I'm walking through the jungle just so I'm closer to the team. So when I shove a wave and I'm waiting for the next wave to hit my wave, I'm running upwards through the jungle, but I'm also passing to the lane. But I'm doing it through the jungle. That's just in case something breaks out. And now you're not going to have 100% certainty of like when the fight's going to break out, but you can be pretty certain of when someone's going to get caught, when a fight's going to break out. 
you know you can see it on the map and then also when you tab in and out of the fight to see what's happening right or your, or your team you can see how close everyone's getting and you, you can make out like if they have a rakan or like a sejuani then it's like okay these fights can break out at any moment one of my teammates just needs to misstep by a millimeter and then sejuani cues in and alls so now that i have that in mind right i have the picks in mind you know i take that into account and i kind of have an idea of when the fights are going to be breaking out so before the fights actually have broken out i'm usually in range now if the fight just like randomly breaks out and i had no clue then i just i guess i just have to start running there and hope i can get there in time but for the most part you kind of want to be alert and constantly tabbing in and when i coach people this is what i say the most like i've, I've gone over this line so many times i usually just scream at them tab tab in tab in let me see let me see because like it agitates me like i can't see what's happening and usually these the, the players that are trying to get on Pantheon, right? They're trying to improve on Pantheon. They don't have a clue. They're just sitting on the side lane and shoving waves in and they're not paying attention. So I get nervous and I start screaming, yo, yo, tab in, tab in, let's see what's happening. You need to be getting that information. You need to constantly be tabbing in and out of what your team's doing, right? If you have no idea, you're doomed. You're just gonna, you're just gonna have to hope that they fight when you're ready. And that's not always the case. So you have to kind of be adjusting to when they're ready to fight and when you think something's gonna break out. Um, also, there's spots on the map too. So stuff like the little pit where the Krugs are. If you walk into that pit, you can actually R, you can R into tier 1 on mid, on either side. So you can R into tier 1, enemy tier 1. So there's little pits where you can get an extra angle because it's going to take a lot longer to walk to the red than it is to walk into the Krugs pit, if you see what I mean. And those like three extra seconds can make the difference. So there's a few pits and like areas in the jungle that give you like an extra millimeter on the R that will make the difference. Um, but you kind of just have to adjust to that as well. So you can take that into account and that might help, you know, help you react to the team fights in time. But for the most part, it's just really paying attention to the comps and trying to gauge an idea of when the fight might be breaking out. I like that. Um, so one thing I'm curious about, are you usually, when do you see that the teams are getting close? Are you trying to R to engage the fight, you know, roughly at the right time? Like, are you the one starting the fight or are you reacting to the start of the fight? That's, that's a great question because it, it really varies. So some comps, I just don't press R. Some comps, I'm literally forced to sit behind my team and, you know, play, play with my carries and play front to back. And I just don't press R. No joke. And I'll often use R for useless stuff like catching waves on the side lane because I know I'm never going to use it for team fights. So, so there's matchups like... Soraka's one of them, and she's very, very obnoxious. You cannot R in to start a fight if you have a Soraka. You're going to land on a silence into a snare, and you're just going to die. And you won't be able to do anything about it. You can't even E, right? It's a silence. And she just tucks it under your feet when you're landing an R, and you just die. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just dead when you land. Pantheon's only got the survivability to frontline because it was E. And if I can't press my E, I'm just dead, right? So there's, there's stuff like that where you just cannot R in. You cannot afford to do it. And it's not just Soraka. There's plenty of champs like that. So like Thresh, I can't R in. I'm going to land into a hook and then a flay. And I'm just dead. Champs like Syndra is going to stop me from actually Ring in as well. Because even if I do land the perfect R and I try and look for a W, she's going to push me away. And even if I hold W, it doesn't matter. I'm pushed away now when I'm outside of W range. So there's some comps you just do not, and I repeat this, do not R. You play it slow, you play it front to back with your team, and, and maybe you frontline for your team, whatever it is, you just play it with your team. You don't R in, you don't look for the engages. Now, if they have a comp that doesn't have like heavy CC or like heavy displacements to stop you from actually R'ing in, then sure, you can definitely look for the engage. But um, 
you need good follow-up because that's that's the most important part if i don't have any follow-up like my team has no real engage when i go in then i'm just going to land and my team's not going to be able to actually get into the fight and i'm just going to get one shot that's that's the problem like if we have a poke sort of a comp and they don't have like heavy engage if we have someone like a Rakan, then great. Because when I are in, he's going to follow up with the charm and the knock-up. God bless, and now everyone collapses. But if we don't have any of that, and it's a slower comp, it's something a little slower. Maybe we have like a Soraka support, right? Nothing heavy engage. Just a lot of champs that play in it, like outside the fight rather than going in the fight. Then I'm often just going to have to play front to back with them. But again, if the enemy team does start a fight, then you can look for an R reactively instead of proactively. So don't use your R to engage, but use it as a reactive R. So now the fight's broken out. Thresh just burned his hook and his flay. I saw Syndra use her push. Great, I'm Ring in. So that's definitely a possibility, but you have to take comps into account. If they have a lot of like CC and displacement, and you do want to R into to the fight, you don't have the luxury of just sitting next to your team. You need to catch waves on the side lane. You have to be using your R as a reactionary R rather than as a proactive R. All right, that that was really cool. I I see again how versatile Pantheon is, and and like how many ways you can use your kit and what to look for as well. It's almost like you are playing Shen, right? You're always keeping an eye on your team and, and knowing exactly uh, when to be ready. Definitely, yeah. Cool. One thing I wanted to ask about as well, like you said that Pantheon's mid game is the toughest part of uh, playing him. But if you do have a huge advantage from your lane, let's say you know you manage to land the all-in on Vayne two or three times, um, and and you're just really strong, is there a way you can utilize that? Like, how do you push that advantage? Even then, it, I mean, it really depends on the game, right? If your team's winning and you're winning, great. Now you could just probably push for an end, to be honest with you, or you play it a little slow. You wait for Baron to come up and you win like that, right? So you just don't throw your lead and you play it solid. You wait for the objectives and you end like that, you know. Um, but if and I'll be honest with you, you still have to wait for items otherwise. If my team's losing, and, I, and I'm, let's say, even 5-0 and top lane, but I don't have my cleaver yet, or I don't have the bulk yet, or I don't have the certain spikes in my items, then I just have to play it slow and wait. I just have to wait. There's, there's no, like, fancy mechanics to look for. Like, Pantheon isn't mechanically intensive to the degree like Fiora is or something, you know? I can't get out of certain scenarios. I, I mean, I can do it to a degree... But you have to be reasonable, right? There's only so much I can do if my team doesn't have a lead and I do. I still have to wait for my spikes. Because now once I finish, let's say, my Sandra Cleaver Bork, now I can start cleaning up the map. I've got enough ability haste to start flicking through abilities. I'm a high enough level now too, right? So I can get maybe 30% armor pin in my R. I've got a lot of HP so I can survive. I've got survivability on Sandra. I've got the insane one-shot potential because of Bork. Like, now my kit's complete. Now we can start playing for fights. But um, if you start doing that too early... Let's say I only have a Sandra. I can't I can only do so much when I'm just jumping into three or four, maybe five people. Right? And if my team's ahead, then it's fine. Then great. I'll jump into four or five people and then my team's behind me. It's great. We're all fed. We just steamroll them. No problem. But if my team's behind, I still have to play it solidly. I still have to play it clever. I still have to farm correctly, get the gold, get the items, and then I can start looking for the engages. So don't 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 try and force an end when it's mid-game and you haven't finished your items. Play it solid. Wait for them to overextend. I mean, it doesn't mean don't look for proactive play. It just means do it in an appropriate manner. Don't just R in like a psycho and hope to 1v5. Don't, don't get overly ambitious just because you've got a lead early. Because I'm telling you right now, even if I've got a 5-0 lead, a Fiora will steamroll me on the side lane. Even if she's 0-5, she'll beat me up. 
if I only have a Sandra to her Vampire Acceptor. Like, really, really. So I need to just play it, calm and calculate, finish my items. But once I finish Cleaver, Sandra, Bork, nobody's beating me on the side lane. There's maybe three champs in the game that can be Pantheon on the side lane after the third item. So, yeah, you have to take that into account. All right, that's interesting. Like, a lot of champions, I think, you know, if they have such a huge lead, they're usually able to really play around that and, and you know, take over the top side uh, at the very least. But <laughs> because the mid game is so weak, you're, you're still, like, you have to rely on your teammates to be ahead as well in order to really utilize that. Yeah, yeah. All right. I do want to ask you about items as well. I know you talked a lot about items already, um, but there's just a few few things I wanted to know. First of all, just starting items. Like, uh, what are you taking straight out of base? Like, what helps you lane? It really depends. Depends on what runes you've run. So if I'm going cookies and runes, then I'll often, like 99% of the time, if I have cookies and runes, go a longsword refillable. And this is just to push my lead as much as possible. Because I'm a bit of a psycho. Like, I play the lane, I'm trying to kill my laner. I don't want a 10 CS lead, it's not good enough for me. Someone's going to die in this lane, I don't care. That's genuinely how I play. And I don't know if it's good or not, but whatever, I do it because I enjoy it, right? Now, that's why I go longsword refillable. If you're new to Pantheon, I wouldn't recommend it. Because you have to be very clever with how you manage your mana. Because um, his E costs 80 mana. His W costs 55. And if you're only getting mana off cookies... You've only got the opportunity to play like for two E's. You can only really cast two E's if that's the case. Otherwise, you're going to be out of mana and you're doomed and you have to reset. So I wouldn't recommend that if you're learning pants. I think if you're learning pants, just stick to Corrupting Pot and that's the solid sort of starter item to go. Just stick to that. It'll work. But yeah, if, if you, you, know, you want to be a little aggressive in the lane, then obviously cookies with Longsword Refillable can work. If I'm versing a matchup that's super tanky, right, then I'll just go Corrupting Pot anyway. Right, super like insane um, survivability in the lane. Let's say it's a Gragas, let's say it's a Malphite, let's say it's a Orn, right? Since Orn can build items, um, then I'll often go corrupting anyway, just because it's a lot safer. Uh, you don't want to be in a position where you're out of mana and the wave's in a bad state. You don't want to be in that position, right? You don't want to have to reset and just let the person hold the freeze and then you come back and they're level up. It's just horrible. You don't want to be in that situation. Um, but I, I would switch my runes around as well because because I'm getting the mana from corrupting, I'll go sorcery um, with. Scorch and Transcendence, if I go Corrupting, because then I don't really have the mana issues anymore. Yeah, yeah, I see. So Corrupting is, is like primarily for the mana, but occasionally you take like Sword and, and Refillable just to, it's just to go super aggressive, essentially. Um, if you do take that, like the Sword and the Potion, do you end up upgrading it to Corrupting Pot later, or do you just not go for it at all? Very rare. Like, it's one in a million games that I would do that. Maybe one in a hundred. Maybe less, like really, really one in 500 games where I'll do that. Just because like the only real mana issues I'm going to have are really early on. I'm not going to have too many mana issues later on into the game unless I'm like using E to shove waves or something like really silly, something really silly. So either I got the corrupting potion early or I didn't get it at all. That's pretty much how it is. Okay. Um, and, you know, you talked about previously how versatile like Pantheon's build is. I've seen you like delay your mythic <laughs> quite often and take lots of items at, at lots of different times. Can you, uh, once again, just quickly go over like what is your thought process when it comes to when you're building which item? Now this is this is my favorite part about building on Pantheon. He can build anything, virtually anything. You think about any item that isn't a uh, marksman item, right? Think about any item that isn't an ADC item, Pantheon can build it, really. Like any item, all the bruiser items he can build, all the assassin items he can build, he can build anything. So um, it kind of, 
is your responsibility. If your team needs anti-shield, great. You go Serpents. Your team needs armor pen. I got you with the cleaver. Your team needs anti-heal. Let me get their Kempunk. And you're often like playing for that, right? So if I don't get an early lead, let's say I played weak side that game and I couldn't get a lead and I'm behind and, you know, the game's gone to shit for me personally, but my team's doing relatively well. And maybe we have two AD users, right? Outside of myself. Great. I mean, the least I can do is I'm never going to be in a position for the next, let's say, 20 minutes to actually do anything. I'm not going to be able to beat my side laner. I'm behind the lane. I'm not going to be able to assassinate the ADC. I don't have that much damage. Like, I'm just not in a position to be doing stuff solo, right? I need to be playing around my team. So what I'll do is I'll just build for my team. Great. They have a Seraphine. I got you guys. I'll get Serpents and I'll get a Kempunk. Oh my god, they have a Malphite. Say less. I'm getting the Cleaver right now. And I just will delay the Mythic all game because I don't really need it. I'm playing with the team. And the more like utility I can provide for the team, the more likely we're going to win fights. And the thing is, this is why I like Pantheon so much. Those items aren't bad. I'm not useless. I'm very useful. Like I'm still getting really good stats from those items. Like they, Those items are very efficient. So yeah, you'll often see me get a cleaver first item. Let's say I'm laning against an Orn. I didn't get a lead. I'm behind. And my team need to deal with Orn at some point. All right, no problem. I'm going to help them deal with the Orn. And let's say my ADC is doing well. I played weak side. We played for bot side. My ADC is doing well. All right. Her only issue is going to be dealing with the fed Orn, right? Not anymore. When I get a cleaver and I shred him, now she can start bursting him. Literally. Because something people usually forget is that cleaver applies armor shred, not just armor pen. You know, and that's the difference between Cleaver and Seraldis, right? It's a lot more selfless than a, a Seraldis purchase or a Last Whisperer purchase. I, I genuinely say, this is why I say Pantheon is broken, right? I exaggerate and I'm like, Pantheon is broken. But no champion can do that to the degree Pantheon can. And all of the items are efficient. I'm not exaggerating. They are all really good items on Pantheon. Like, he uses Cleaver better than any champ I can think of. Stat-wise and passive-wise, like procking the passive, having the stats be that efficient on him and having the extra movement speed passive be efficient on him too. Maybe Garen can use it as well as Pantheon, but the stats aren't as efficient as they are for Pantheon. Then you factor in his R. And if you proc the anti-heal on five targets with your R, it's like Christmas. Amazing. You know what I mean? Like if you can get a good R and you hit like three people, it's still great. You just proc the passive on everyone. So now that anti-utility, you proc it on the whole team. Amazing. Like, he uses the item so incredibly well. And, um, yeah, that's why you often see me delay a mythic. All right, I like that. Um, when, if ever, do you go for, like, a more assassin playstyle? You know, if, if you really want that kill threat, like, do you ever go full damage? So there's, like, the mathematically correct build on Pantheon, right? And I've tried it. It's not really competitive. Because the truth is, with Pantheon, you don't need to be going full damage to actually one-shot someone. Like I said before, Sandra Cleaver Bork will 100 to 0 anyone. The frontline Scion will get melted. The backline Zeri will get melted. Everyone you touch will die. So you don't really need to be going, you know, the Duskblade Yomu's collector. That's unnecessary. You're just going to be walking around with no HP, very vulnerable, no real survivability. Like it's just very hard to play that. You're not providing any utility to the team. You're just. You're just useless. Now, before durability, there was definitely some play, maybe like a Eclipse, Edge of Night. Sure, you have no ability haste, but you can burst someone. It's like, great. Now, Eclipse, Edge of Night is barely going to kill the ADC. I don't even think it will. Like, maybe if the ADC is super behind and doesn't have a shield bow, sure. But for the most part, it's like, it doesn't really do anything. So I'm going, I'm going more like percent HP damage items. I, I still go Eclipse, but it varies game to game. I'm never going full lethality like a savage. It doesn't really work. It doesn't work too well. Okay, fair enough. 
Um, are all those lethality items completely out of the question then, or are there still situations where you can buy them? If I get an early lead and my team isn't doing particularly well, I'm more likely to go something a little aggressive. I don't have the luxury of just building slow items like, you know, a Sandra or a Cleaver, right? Because core fields, Kindle gems, a lot less aggressive than, let's say, a Yomus, right? Because I get a Serrated Dirk and a core fields, and then I have the mobility from the Yomus, and I could just look for rotations a lot easier. Sometimes I'll get a Serrated Dirk and just hold it, and then I'll build a Sandra, just so I have that burst damage, just so if the enemy mid lane is overextending or enemy jungler is overextending and I can look for the rotation, I just have way higher chance of actually killing them with a Serrated Dirk as opposed to like a Kindle Gem or maybe a Sheen if you're going Sandra. And I call those build parts a little slow because they aren't like innately aggressive like a Serrated Dirk is. All right. And uh, earlier you mentioned Eclipse. Um, when do you pick Eclipse over Sunderer? So there's games I'll go Eclipse, let's say I go on early lead and they don't really have champs that are going to have insane amounts of HP, right? They don't have a lot of frontline. It's mainly just champs like, you know, either mages or marksmen or like kind of squishies, right? Then I'll go Eclipse because I don't really need the Sandra. I'd rather have the Lethality just to get them from 1,400 HP to zero. Done. I like that. I like to get together early Eclipse, especially when I have a lead as well. Because if I have a lead and I start building it to Kindle, Gem and Sheen, it feels like Schmidt. It feels horrible. Like, it just doesn't feel correct. I feel like I'm just missing out on something, right? So, yeah, I'll often be going um, Eclipse if I get a massive lead and they don't have heavy frontline. Okay. Um, and finally, when it comes to your boots, and especially your Tier 2 boots, when do those come in? Like, when do you want to build them? And, like, <laughs> which ones do you pick? Uh, the earlier you can get boots, the better on Pantheon. You lack any sort of like mobility outside of your Empowered E, which you can't really look to constantly use to gap close. You know what I mean? So I'm often getting them really early on, usually before my first item. And what boots I get really just depends on the champs. I'd rather get resistance boots, although swiftness and lucidity boots are actually good. I wouldn't say they're bad. I think they're really good boots, but there's a time and a place. Because you need resistances, right? You're a melee champ. You're going to be in the, in the front line. So I usually do prioritize either Merc Treads or Tabbies. All right, awesome. Um, now, I have some last questions for you about top lane in general. Um, why do you prefer to play Pantheon in the top lane? You mentioned earlier that you do occasionally play him in mid, and I know that a lot of people like him in the jungle, but why is top lane your favorite? Okay, this is, this, this, I don't know why. This one, this is, I like this. I like this question. Um, I just prefer top lane as a whole, and I'm not trying to make it seem as if, like, um, mid lane players are all by, by some nature just worse. I don't think that's the case. But top lane just has so much back and forth and mind games that I don't really have with mid. And I, I, don't, I think that's because of Pantheon's playstyle. Because in mid lane, you're not really trying to land tap Qs. In mid lane, I'm just trying to go for the, you know, the, the brain dead point and click W. I'm not trying to land any... I can't land a tap Q at Syndra. Even if I tried, I wouldn't be able to. So usually I'm trying to bait her push and then I look for an Apal W. And it's a lot less mind games. And I'll be honest with you, it's a lot less consequence. Because if I fail to space correctly into a Darius and I get hooked, I'm dead. If I fail, fail to space correctly into a, into a Mordekais and he lands his grab, I'm dead. I like that. I live for that. I like the mind games. I like, I like that it's more of like a chess match. With mid lane, it's more like... Okay, I sidestepped Ari's charm, I'm empowered Wing. And I can play mid lane and I've got a way higher win rate on mid lane than I do on top. I just prefer top lane and I don't know why that's the case. Maybe it's because there's more consequence and it can snowball out of hand 
to the furthest degree. There's no role that snowballs out of hand like top lane, right? You die once, top lane, game over. See you in a bit. Like, go, good luck in the next game. Right? You're not going to be able to win anymore. It's done. If I die in mid, I'm like, eh, all right. I'm going to look for rotations. We'll see what we can do. It's not too bad. Like, top lane, I die. I'm locked in. I'm isolated up here. No one's coming to save me. And it works vice versa. If I kill my laner, you're... You're coming straight back to me. You're not leaving anywhere. You're coming straight back and it's still me and you for the next 10 minutes. You know? And I like the aspect. I like that a lot. I, I can still play in jungle and I think I have a higher win rate on sub, mid and jungle than I do top lane. Which is embarrassing because I'm a top main. That shouldn't be the case. Kit wise, he's like way better suited mid in every sense. He works better with um, like early skirmishes because he's often going to have prior, right? So if my jungler's fighting in the river bot, I can be there if I'm mid. My jungler's fighting in the top river, I can be there. My jungler's getting invaded wherever I can show up. That's the difference with mid and top. And I've got so much opportunity mid that you obviously don't have top. So yeah, he's definitely way easier to play mid. And I don't think mid's just intrinsically easier. I think Pantheon's kit just suits mid way better. Especially if you pick him as a second pick too. Um, because he has some matchups that are just fundamentally impossible for the enemy laner. Like Kasadin, Yoon, Yasuo, they just can't win. It's by design they lose. Same as Silas. By design they're just losing. There's nothing they can do. There's a lot less of that top lane. And the only matchup I can think of that are just by design losing is Jax. I think Jax's default just loses that lane against Pantheon. But outside of Jax, all the matchups are playable. And I like that. I like that back and forth. I love it. <laughs> I, I really like so much how you're only playing top almost purely for the challenge, right? Yeah. Just because yeah. there's so much to it. Yeah. That is that is excellent. All right. Um, one last question about top lane. I've uh, I've done interviews with other top laners before. I've interviewed Expetu about his Shen and Roku about his Darius. Um, but those interviews actually took place before the teleport changes. So I'm very curious on your take on the teleport changes, um, you know, with Unleashed Teleport and everything. How have those changes affected top lane, in your opinion? Like, has it changed for better or for worse? I mean, definitely it's worse in the sense that you have less impact on the map. So top lane's always had the least impact, right? I'm not here to sulk or anything. It, it, it is what it is. One role is always going to have the least impact, right, when there's five roles. So that's fine. But top lane's always had the least impact, and then they made it, like, ten times worse after TP changes. So, like, if my bot lane's losing now and I'm running TP, there's nothing I could do. I'm not, they're still losing. I'm not gonna be able to do anything. Sure, there's a few opportunities where maybe they're getting dived on the tower and then you can TP to the tower. But for the most part, for the most part, if the bot lane's losing, they're just losing. You can't really impact it. And now I feel like everyone's starting to run like different runes. Like people are a little more aggressive with the runes now. Either they're running Ghost, replacing the TP, or they're running Ignite, or they're running, you know, whatever it is. They could be running Exhaust, they could be running Barrier. There's so many, so many different uh, summoners that people are running now. In the sense of, like, getting a lead top now, it's better because people are a little more aggressive since more people are running Ignite now instead of TP. Um, but in the sense of, like, impacting the map, definitely the TP changes have hurt top lane more than it's helped. So it's, like, even, like, more of a dueling island. Is that what you would say? Yeah, like, if you... if. If you're one of those guys that just love fighting top lane, and you just love the back and forth, and you just want to die or you want to kill, great, right? It's definitely helped with that. But if you want to have an impact on the game and actually try and, you know, secure a lead and secure a lead for your team, not just yourself, right? Looking for rotations or whatnot, then it's definitely hurt top lane more than it's helped. All right. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, pretty much all the questions I have for you, except for one last question, um, which is, what is the best Pantheon skin? Ooh. Okay. So his best skin. 
is definitely ascended pantheon it feels the smoothest it looks the best but you need 100 prestige points so his real best skin price to performance wise is pulse fire because it's just 1000 rp or something right so yeah you can just buy it anytime and that is a great skin effects on it are nice the ult looks nice the skins look nice the chromas look good right and and it's just the smooth sm i think it's the smoothest skin i don't know why i've got this thing where i feel like some skins are stiffer than others even though i think it's just placebo but definitely like pulse fire is just super smooth you feel like an insect just hopping around like it feels really good <laughs> all right awesome Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I really enjoyed the, the conversation. This has been awesome. Um, where can people find out more about you? Thank you for having me, Lucas. Um, it's been really enjoyable being here as well. You can find me at twitch.tv slash spear underscore shot, or you can find me on YouTube. You just have to search up spear shot and I should come up. Um, if you have like any more questions or any anything, then you can just contact me on Twitch or maybe ask a question in YouTube comments, whatever it is, and I will try my best to answer it. All right, that's it for this episode. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast, be sure to join the Challenger Insights Discord. We have an amazing community in there. You can join events like the Q&A, and you'll always get notified when a new episode comes out. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone who you think would be interested in it as well. Thank you for listening.